Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Guys, before we get into before we get into our our uh, our topic for this evening, I want to I want to jump back to something that was brought up during worship. Uh, stickers, do me a favor. Pull up, pull up um, Luke eleven, that prodigal son story. That song had us all read together. Excuse me, fifteen, eleven through twenty-four. Um, guys, what I love about this story is this younger son, he asks for his inheritance, and he runs off into the world, and basically the modern-day equivalent, he goes to Vegas, goes to the strip, strip club, gets all the girls to his table, gets as many drinks as possible. That is the indulgence into the world that this younger son wanders into. And I love the interaction Go ahead, jump to the next one, stickers. But I love the interaction here. One more. I didn't realize there were three slides for this. There it is. The younger son, he realizes how screwed up, how far he had gotten off from his father. And I love this response. He runs back and says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. See, this younger son, because of how off he had gone into the world, how far he had gone into sin, had completely, had completely lost sight of the position that he had in his father's house. And he comes back begging, pleading, saying, I've sinned against Heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A few verses before that, he's saying, maybe. He says, maybe I can go back and I can just work as a servant. Maybe I can come back. And I look at the father's response. But the father said to his servants, the, his first response, bring the best robe, put it on his hand, put a ring on his finger. That ring was a signal of position and authority in the family. And regardless of how far the son went, the father is the one who gets to decide whether or not he gets to come home. And I love this story. I love this parable. Because too often we get to this place, we get to these seasons of life where we think, I've gone too far. And what I love about this is the son had it in his mind, he won't welcome me back. My father is not going to welcome me home. And in Jewish culture, you weren't even supposed to go near a pig and he's eating with them. Completely unclean. I've done too much, I've gone too far. And some of you might be in that spot. I've slept around too much. I've looked at way too much porn. The views I have of myself are so low, there's no way that the God of the universe could have anything good to think about me. I've betrayed too many people. I've gossiped about too many people. I've lied to my parents too many times. I've beat up my younger sibling too many times. Guys, you don't have a say. It's God's decision whether or not he decides to put a ring on your finger and say, you are mine. 
And what I love is in 2 Timothy, it says that God desires all to come to a knowledge of the truth. There's not a single one of us that he is not standing there waiting, pleading, begging, saying, if you would just come to me, I got this ring for you. I want to make you my son, my daughter. I just need you to come. So I love that parable. Takes us a little off base from where we were going tonight, but that's okay. But let's kind of get focused back in on where we're headed. See what God has for us this evening. You know, on Sunday night, we talked about how freedom was defined. And we have this definition of freedom that we can act and speak and think in such a way without hindrance or restraint. And then last night, we talked about how freedom is redefined. How God wants to give us a new perspective, a new idea on what freedom is. Is that ultimately, God desires us to live in freedom, but that does not mean without limits. Because remember, we walked through creation and we talked about how in perfection in the Garden of Eden, God gives man a job to do. He gives him rules to follow. So wait a second, jobs and rules, that doesn't sound like freedom. That sounds kind of restraining. That sounds kind of hindering. Sounds like limits. Well, that's not my idea of freedom, but what's God's idea of freedom? That what we ultimately want is a world without limits. Right? That's ultimately what we crave. That's ultimately what we desire. Because of the wickedness in our hearts, we want to do what we want to do, say what we want to say, think and act however however it is we want to. And at first glance, a world without limits sounds pretty good, but we need to understand something. No limits means no boundaries, and no boundaries means no safety. And yesterday, I told you that story of our oldest son, my wife and I's oldest son, Elliot, being in that porch area with the sliding glass door. But the reason we had those boundaries on him is because we didn't have covers over the outlets in the rest of the house. There were things that he could get himself into that were potentially dangerous and harmful for him. So even though we had placed boundaries on his ability to roam around the house, it was ultimately for the purpose of his safety. So even though a world without limits sounds really good, a world without limits could ultimately lead to our downfall. Excuse me. And guys, that's what we need to kind of dig into tonight. Last night we talked about creation. Tonight we need to see how God's design and desire for us to live in perfect unity with him started to get pulled apart as sin is introduced into the world. And I want to look at the the consequences of that. It's referred to as the fall in Genesis 3, verses 17 through 19. It says this, let's look at this together. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, this is God speaking to Adam. Because what had happened is the serpent, Satan, comes and he kind of whispers in Eve's ear and says, are you sure if you eat of that fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I I don't think God meant you would actually die. So she takes a bite and then gives to Adam who's standing there with her and they break the one rule that they were given. God comes, seeks after Adam and Eve and then he has this conversation And he curses the serpent, he curses Eve, and then he looks at Adam, he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife 
and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And we have the introduction, we have the introduction of sin into the world. Now, last night, we were led to this question of what is God's definition of freedom? The Greek word, eletheria, means freeborn, one who is not a slave, not bound. And then that Hebrew word, hoshi, meaning to manumit or be set free. Well, what is that thing we need to be set free from? Sin is that answer. Sin is that thing that is binding us, enslaving us, wrapping us up, holding us back from experiencing the fullness of what God has for us on this earth. And because of this sin, we need to realize something. We were not born free, but we were born into bondage. Romans 5 verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then the beginning of Romans 5.19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So you and I have been born into bondage. We have been born as slaves to sin. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I wasn't necessarily raised in church but there were a few times when I was a kid when I went to children's church or something like that. And sin was always kind of this vague concept. And it was always introduced as basically just do the right thing. Don't do bad things. And it's that easy. But guys, when you get into the depth of scripture, when you really dig into the text, sin becomes way more deadly than we ever expected. The Hebrew word for sin is chata. Like I said, that Hebrew, you got to like hakalugi as you're saying every word. But that Hebrew word for sin, chata, it means to fail or miss. And I love this. In Judges 20, there, was these, there were these men, these left-handed men, and that was a big deal because, how, anybody left-handed in here? Man, there's a lot of you, actually. But left-handed was a big deal because in some circumstances, it would give you an advantage in battle because most men... Most men were used to combating with other right-handed men. So if you were left-handed, it would sometimes give you an advantage. And there were these left-handed, left-handed men from the tribe of Benjamin. And in Judges 20, verse 16, it talks about how these men could sling, like David and Goliath, a stone and a sling. They could sling a stone at a single hair and not chata, not miss. And guys, you have to forgive me, that's Proverbs 19.2, not Psalms 19.2, but Proverbs 19.2, it talks about not depending on your own wisdom. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet, whoever rushes, misses his way, katas his way, loses his way. So the Hebrew word for sin, kata, simply means to miss, but missing absolute perfection, that these men could sling a stone at a single hair and not miss. 
But then as we get into the New Testament, we get an even crazier understanding of this. The Greek word hamartia is that we are drawn towards sin. We are drawn towards wickedness. It pulls at us. It drags us away from God. In Genesis, God warns Cain. You guys haven't heard the story of Cain and Abel, two brothers who were bringing sacrifices before God. And Abel, he kind of functioned as a shepherd and a, and a hunter, and he brought the best of what he had to offer, a fattened calf before the Lord. And Cain was more of a gatherer, so he kind of brought together some fruits and veggies that he had collected, and God favored his brother Abel. And Cain started to get jealous of his brother. And God comes to Cain, and he says, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It wants you. And Paul starts to dig into this concept of hamartia, that sin is this consuming force of evil that wants to take over your life, that wants to drag you away from God and his holiness and all that he has for you. And he gets into this in Romans and Galatians, that sin becomes this consuming force there's this really awesome man of God named David. In Psalm 38, David describes the torment he experiences because of his sin. This isn't going to be on the screen, so I want you to just really listen in here. Psalm 38, starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, rebuke me, not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. Listen to this. This is David describing the pain he experiences because of the sins he's committed. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. And what that means is that in utter fear, in utter fear of the power of God, because of how jacked up he has gone, how far astray he has gone, and sheer terror being prostrate is laying face on the ground because he's not worthy to look upon God's face, not worthy to be in the presence of God. I am utterly bound down, bowed down, prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. He is broken in spirit and in body because of his sin. And this is what we have been wrapped up in. And what's crazy is we don't even realize it. Because sin's fun. At least for a time. Sin is enjoyable, but only for certain seasons. But if we have this evil force trying to ruin us, trying to bring about death in our lives, well, why doesn't God just take it away? Why can't he just make it safe? 
Why is there so much evil in the world? Why do we have to deal with sin? Why do we have to deal with natural disasters and famines and epidemics? Why not just get rid of it? And we have to pause for a second. We need to understand something. The driving force of who God is, his desire for humanity and our existence is love. To love him and to love each other. Matthew 22, as Jesus is kind of going back and forth and responding to some of his critics. And throughout various times in his ministry, he's, he's tested. But Matthew 22, starting verse 34, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And Jesus is quoting something called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. And this is something that Jews believed in so much because in the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. You shall bind these on the backs of your hands and the frontlets between your eyes. And committed Jews, even to this day, will strap a small wooden box onto their forehead whenever they read from the Torah and during certain times of prayer. And this is held with so much reverence, a fearful respect. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. God's driving force in our existence is love, love for him and love for each other. So here's what we need to understand when we're asking God, well, why can't he just get rid of it all? Why do we have to deal with sin? Why do we have to deal with evil in the world? Why is this thing holding us back all the time? Why can't God just get rid of it? Because if God's driving force is love, well, love demands, it calls for evil to exist. Love is not possible without free will. We have to choose love. Love demands free will. Free will demands choice. And choice demands options. Now, options in front of us are good and evil. The options we have in front of us are good and evil. We're going to choose to walk with God or not. If God were to take away evil, he takes away our choice. If he takes away our choice, he takes away our free will. And what God's left with is a species of robots just complying to his commands. But that's not what, he, not what he wants for us. He wants us to choose love and to choose him. So in this beautiful chaos of God's creation, as evil is trying to overtake, as sin is trying to ruin our ability to experience love and experience God. What's his plan? For God to remove all evil instantaneously, he would not be just. And ultimately, he wouldn't be loving. So he decided on something else. He decided on a different way. 
God chooses to bring freedom to us, but not our definition of freedom. Freedom that is redefined, but it's not free. It comes with a price. And what we have to figure out and talk about tomorrow is what is that price tag? What is the cost of the freedom God wants to bring to us? To be set free from the bondage of sin. These chains that are holding us back from experiencing the fullness of who God is. So let's pray together. Wrap things up. God, I thank you so much for your word. You challenge us. The story of Jesus is often referred to as the good news, the good news of the gospel. But for there to be good news, there's always bad news. And the bad news is we have all fallen short. We've all missed that mark of perfection. And it costs us perfect unity with you. And now we find ourselves wrapped up and enslaved to sin. But God, I thank you that just like the prodigal son, we can never go beyond the reach of your love. No matter how far we wander from you, you are always ready and waiting to welcome us home with open arms to place a ring on our finger that declares to the world, you are mine. First John 3. What love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So Father, we're challenged by the fact that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners, and that sin separates us from you. We have chosen to walk away from you at times. We have chosen to pursue the world and to pursue wickedness. But God, would you be working in our hearts to turn from our sin And as we seek you, you're going to bring freedom into our lives. So, Father, we thank you for the time we've had in the word. We pray that you would be with us the rest of the week. We pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.